Uh, we do want to welcome those who may be visiting with us for the first time. Uh, please know that you're welcome. Uh, we do come uh, understanding <clears throat> uh, God's grace today, even as we remember and walk through um, a journey of confession. A journey of confession. We sometimes uh, use words that uh, we don't, that can be difficult to, to understand how to uh, apply practically in our lives. So what does it mean to confess? And that's where I want to read just a short portion of the story of uh, Christ's death, and then we'll turn back to Psalm 130 and look at this uh, Good Friday confession or this journey uh, to confession. How do you rise from the depths uh, to be able to say that there is abundant salvation? Rising from the depth to abundant salvation. This won't come up on the screen, but I just want to read a portion um, of the story of the death of Christ from John chapter 19. After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there. So they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Since it was the preparation day, the Jews did not want the bodies to remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a special day. They requested that Pilate have the men's legs broken and that their bodies be taken away. So the soldier came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other one who had been crucified with him. And when they came to Jesus, they did not break his legs since they saw that he was already dead. The one, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once blood and water came out. He who saw this has testified so that you also may believe. His testimony is true and he knows he is telling the truth. For these things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. Also another scripture says they will look at the one they pierced. After this, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might remove Jesus' body. Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took his body away. Nicodemus who had previously come to him at night, also came, bringing a mixture of about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. They took Jesus' body, wrapped it in linen cloths with the fragrant spices, according to the burial custom of the Jews. There was a garden in the place where he was crucified. A new tomb was in the garden. No one had yet been placed in it. They placed Jesus there because of the Jewish day of preparation and since the tomb was nearby. Earlier we read from Psalm 130, how do we confess when we understand the cross, what took place at the cross? How do we confess out of the depths of our heart? Psalm 130 is a psalm of lament. It is a petition before God. It is a psalm of confession. And we can uh, wonder 
what it is to practically confess before one another. If you just think of times where you've gone through difficulties in your relationship and you ask the question, how can I repair this? What first steps can I take? The first steps often come with a confession, a confession of what we've done wrong or a confession of what's taken place. A confession is just an honest moment and an honest interaction. So when we come to Psalm 130, we want to have an honest moment with Good Friday. We want to have an honest moment with God. We want to have an honest moment with God as he sent his son Jesus on the cross. What is it to have an honest moment at the cross? Let's meet the psalmist. Psalm 130, verses 1 and 2. Out of the depths I call to you, Lord. Lord, listen to my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for help. Where do we meet the psalmist? What do we know about the psalmist? The psalmist is in the depths. That might be more poetic language or uh, uh, old language. We might not say to one another, I'm in the depths, but I think we have an understanding of what it is to be in the depths. One person has written uh, to be in the depths is uh, those who feel the weight of their burden of sin that they have brought upon themselves, of those who feel like they've sunk to the depths of the sea, a place of chaos and alienation. Imagine yourselves engulfed in violent waters, dragged to the bottom amidst swirling eddies of turgid turgid waters with nothing to grasp, no light to find your bearings, sinking ever deeper into cold, murky darkness. We know when we're battling in relationships or things are unsettled or there's times where we're just in the depths feeling the darkness of our sin, the darkness of our emotions, that we can understand what it is to be in the depths. We are dragged to the bottom. There is very little light. It's like we're just swirling around. Our life is out of control. We don't know what's going to happen. There's no light. We're sinking ever deeper. It's cold and it's murky. Everything comes out of, is becoming out of control, out of the depths. And the only thing, it's not like out of the depths, I'm going to do something about this. Out of the... You, You know that at this point there is nothing you can do. Out of the depths, I call to you, Lord. And we might think, well, there's the answer. It could just be a one-verse answer. Um, Out of my depths, I'm going to call to you. But even the calling to the Lord is part of the confession, part of the understanding of the journey of confession. Listen to what, listen to verse 2. Lord, listen to my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for help. Let's just imagine for a moment, and again, it's uncomfortable. Let's imagine uh, that you have, um, you need to have an honest confessional conversation with someone. You're in the depths. And if you had to have that honest confessional moment, what is one of your greatest fears? I think one of my greatest fears is if I have to confess before someone that they will not hear me. That they will not want to listen to me. That they will not want to help me. You see, that's part of verse 2. 
He calls out to the Lord, but verse 2 is, Lord, listen. And you know that when we confess before one another, we're asking the person to listen. We're asking the person to be attentive, and we're asking the person to help. But we're not always received with a listening ear. And people will say, well, why, why should I even pay attention to you? Do you know what you've done? Do you know your sin? Do you know how angry you've made me? Do you know how sad you've made me? Do you know what this has done to my life? Do you know the hurt and the pain and all the tears I've gone through because of what you've done? And their verse two is, I don't want to hear you. I don't want to pay attention to you. And I definitely don't want to help you. I'm done with you. It's over. It's too much. It's too little. And it's too late. This is a deep confession. He's in, his, he's in the depths. He calls out to the Lord and the question that he has. And we see this in the ministry of Jesus. Will the Lord notice this person? Will the Lord show mercy to this person? Will the Lord forgive this person? Will the Lord hear the voice? Will the Lord hear your voice this Good Friday? Will he be attentive? Will he not only be attentive, but will he hear your cry for help and will he answer? Isn't that our greatest fear and sometimes why we don't have the difficult conversations either with God or with one another? Because we're afraid that God may not hear us. You see, as we begin in verses 1 and 2, we begin to understand at the cross, it was a cost. It cost Jesus everything. The creator God would come fully human, without sin, live and suffer, or suffer while he lived, suffered intensely while he was on the cross, would die, lay in the grave for three days, buried. And so when we come to confession, Psalm 130 slows confession down, gives us a journey of confession, a Good Friday confession at the cross, and the beginning of the Good Friday is to acknowledge how much it costs Jesus, and that if we are to even, if Jesus is even to hear us, it is a moment of grace. We do not deserve this forgiveness. We do not deserve his mercy. Now you might say, well, why is that? I know he's in the death, but what's going on? I, I want to know what's going on in this man's life. And that's verses 3 and 4, or this person's life. Here, here is, the, here is the, the, the issue that they're struggling with. Lord, if you kept an account of iniquities, Lord, who could stand? Again, imagine this in your relationships. If the person that you're closest to kept an account of all your sins and there was no forgiveness. If this person, every day when you sinned, said to you, that's another sin. That's another sin. That's a sin. And they just kept a record of it. In fact, they would go and they'd write it down. 
and they'd write it down. And that happened again and again. Your and my response would probably not be, well, I'll do better, but that's what we go to, right? I'll do better. I'll be better. I'll get this. I'll figure it out. I'm, I'm going to change. I'm, I'm going to be the, the person that you want me to be. I'll just be better. And meanwhile, we know in our hearts that's not going to work. We do this with ourselves. Some people live this way. They, don't know, they, they, they intellectually know forgiveness, but they don't know. They just stack their sins up. They live with their sin. They, their sin far outweighs the forgiveness found in Jesus. Believers can live like this. Everything makes them feel guilty. Now, can you imagine bringing that before God? Lord, I am overwhelmed with my sin, with what I say, with what I do, with what I think, with how I treat people, my lack of love, kindness, my sins that I do, my sins that I don't do, or the sins that I commit because I don't do what I should do. And then all of a sudden we ask, Lord, Lord, if you kept an account of iniquities, Lord, who could stand? If everybody knew everything about you and there was no forgiveness, could you stand before them? Can we stand before a holy God? That is the confession at the cross. We sink ever deeper. We know that we're crying out for the mercy of God. And the question at the cross the Good Friday question is, Lord, if you confess or if you kept an account of iniquities, could I stand before you? That's part of the confession. When we think about confession, we often think about confession of sin. But interestingly, there's a second part to confession of sin that happens immediately in verse 4. The second part of confession. You see, if I have sinned against somebody, I basically come to them and I say, can I have an honest conversation with you? Will you listen? If I sinned against you, I'm saying, I'm in the depths. Will you pay attention? Will you help me? When I stand before you with my iniquities, with my sin, or when I come before you with my iniquities and sin, I can't stand before you. I know that I've sinned against you. The second part of the confession is not just confession of sin, but confession of forgiveness. Notice what he says in verse 4, but with you there is forgiveness so that you may be revered. Now here's why we need verse 5 and 6. We confess our sin, we confess forgiveness, and then we just move on, right? But what happens when we confess forgiveness? We can doubt the person's forgiveness. If we're talking with one another, and if I've confessed sin, and then you said, I forgive you, are there times when you have especially sinned against a person that you walk away and you're just not so sure of their forgiveness? Does that person really love me? Because they know what's going on inside of me. I, I know they've said they've forgiven me, but have they really forgiven me? And that's, again, how some people live before God. They know God's forgiveness, but has God really loved me? God sees what's going on in my heart. And, and 
does he still love me? Does he still love me because of my repeated sins, my willful sins, my guilt? And so often our confession is, okay, we just need to hear forgiveness, but even forgiveness sometimes doesn't settle what's going on inside of our heart. So we need verses 5 and 6. Verses 5 and 6 say, I will wait for the Lord. I wait and put my hope in his word. In other words, what takes place in these verses is even though you confess your sin and you confess the forgiveness that you find in Jesus, that he is revered, the word revered is he is admired but feared. It's a beautiful act And he is great enough to forgive your sins, but God, in Jesus, am I really forgiven? And what we often do is we often do a Christian penance because we don't experience the forgiveness of sins, so we come again at Jesus and say, well, I'll do better. I'll do my part so that I know that you love me. Here is verses three and four. He loves you. He's forgiven you at the cross. But verses 5 and 6 speak to our souls. They speak deep into the depths. And they say, God says, I know you're going to struggle with forgiveness. I know you're going to struggle with the love of God. And so he says, wait on the Lord. We're not a generation that waits. Even in churches, we're not a generation that waits. If we just know it, then we apply it, then we live it. Psalm 130 slows everything down. Good Friday slows us down. Wait on the Lord. I wait. So what does it mean to wait? Is it just like a bus stop wait? It's not a bus stop wait. He says, I wait, and he's looking for hope. He's fighting for hope. How many of you live with hope? The hope of forgiveness. Where will you find this hope? In the word. You see, it's not just sitting there at a bus stop waiting for hope to pass by. To hope or to find hope, to wait for hope is to be in the word. And you read the word and you read about Jesus. And you read about forgiveness. And you wrestle with the word. And you interact with the word. And you read about Jesus coming along and he's not ignoring those who need mercy. He's paying attention to them. You read about the cross and what's taking place on the cross and you're beginning to say, he has forgiven me. He has placed his love on me. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. In other words, in the darkness of the night, he is waiting for the morning so that he can have that hope of the forgiveness that is found in Christ again. Don't miss those relational moments. In other words, if this is relational for you with one another, you come and you say, I'm speaking out of the depths. Please pay attention. Here's my sin. Here's forgiveness. And then you talk about it. You say, what does it mean to forgive? It means that you will bear and pay that person's debt. It will be costly to you just as it was costly to Christ Christ, it cost him everything on the cross. He poured out his blood. He drank the wrath. He drank the cup of God on your behalf. You see what the word does. And what happens when we go back to the word is the word is a very honest book. In fact, it's so honest, most people hate it. 
You might be here today and you might hate this stuff because the word somebody, something living is, is getting in your kitchen, getting in your face and saying maybe not everything is good. But what the Bible does is the Bible invites you to a place of honest conversation, honest confession, and say, God, I get my sin, but I'm struggling with forgiveness. So I'm going to wait and hope in the word. And what does hope look like? That's verses 7 and 8. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. He waited. He found hope. What did hope look like? For there is faithful love. Isn't that beautiful? You know people who have loved you faithfully. They know you. Parents do this with their children. Friends do this with one another. Spouses do this with one another. Churches do this with one another. They know you. They're faithful in their love. That's the cross. That's a Good Friday confession. God, you're faithful in your love. You did not let go of me. You can imagine the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son runs off, spends all that time in that living, comes back, pig pen, says, servants get treated better than I'm getting treated by the pigs. They're, uh, they're not good company. I'm going to go back to my father. The father runs out and embraces him. Can you imagine what a whirlwind that would be for the prodigal son? And then he says, my son was dead, but now he's alive. So we got to throw a party. So they bring a robe. They put sandals. They put a ring. Um, they throw this big party. The older sibling gets upset. What it, and you can imagine the prodigal son waking up the next morning and saying, what happened? How could the father love me that much? He was faithful in his love. And the second thing is, with him is redemption in abundance. That's verse 7. Do you want to know, what is hope in your relationship? Someone who will love you faithfully, love you knowing who you are, and someone whose redemption is in abundance. They love you knowing who you are, and they're faithful in that love, and it is abundant love. So that means they don't come back a year later and say, do you remember what you did? I hold that against you. There is abundant redemption in Christ. And that is Good Friday. He is faithful in his love. He is abundant in redemption. And then the final verse is you can talk about it with others. And he will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. Here's the final end. As Christ has redeemed me by grace, God knows by grace, he redeems. He offers redemption to all. You can come and have an honest moment before God and say, I'm in the depths. God, would you listen to this story? Would you listen to me? Because I'm afraid you're going to turn me away once you hear my story. If I were to bring all my iniquities before you, God, I could not stand. But I hear there's forgiveness. Will you love me, God? And the answer is at the cross. He loves you. God gave his son for you. 
freely offered. And you say, just a moment, you mean he would love me? And we're in verses five and six, I'm wrestling. He would love me? I wait for the hope as I read his word and read again and again as Jesus received sinner after sinner after sinner. And you begin to say, I have hope because I have brought all this before God and he faithfully loved me and faithfully loves me. And there is abundant redemption. If you have not come to Jesus, come to him today. There's faithful love. There's abundant redemption. And if you are a believer who struggles because you don't think you can stand before God, there is faithful love. There is abundant redemption. It is freely, at a cost, given to you so that we might live for God to the glory of his name. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for this pathway of confession. Thank you for Jesus' faithful love, for redemption in abundance, that he will redeem us from all of our iniquities, all of our iniquities. So we come to have honest conversations with you today. And if there are those who have put off honest conversations with you, may they have an honest conversation with you today confessional conversation. Can they, can we stand before you with our sin? What is it to experience the forgiveness of Jesus and to have the hope of faithful love? Lord, we come to you today to confess that there is forgiveness and redemption from all our iniquities. And that is why we come to the Lord's Supper to confess and to realize the abundant redemption. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.